A number of years ago, I attended a week-long retreat uh, up in northern Colorado with a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. For the last evening Dhamma talk of the retreat, we had a special guest teacher, a man in his 70s who was uh, one of the teachers of the Rinpoche who was teaching this particular retreat. Before our guest arrived, we were given some background information about him. We were told that this was his first time in the United States, and also that he was a a very fine artist. We were also told that he had been in a Chinese prison camp for 20 years, and that for 15 of those years, he and two other lamas were practicing in retreat. This 15-year retreat came about because of the kindness of one of the Chinese doctors who was part of the prison uh, administration who had created the conditions to make it possible for these three men to do a 15-year retreat. And so our honored guest came in into the meditation hall with a somewhat stiff and bent body, and he was uh, given help to climb up into his seat. And then he proceeded to give a very clear and uh, very long uh, traditional Dharma talk, essentially laying out the path beginning from its ethical moral foundations, all the way through, step by step by step, up to the Tibetan Dzogchen teachings. It wasn't a particularly scintillating talk, although it was interesting enough, but there was a particularly scintillating aspect uh, of that evening, and that was uh, our guest teacher himself. As he spoke, there was a lightness, a suppleness, and an incredible delight in his demeanor that came through. At times it seemed as though he was almost bouncing lightly in his seat, maybe the closest thing I've ever uh, seen to levitation. And so just to check myself, and the possibility of my projection onto this teacher. After the talk, I spoke with a couple of friends of mine who were also attending this retreat. The container of silence in this retreat was um, not nearly as pervasive as it is here. And I asked my friends if they had also noticed these qualities. And they confirmed that they also had definitely noticed these qualities. After the retreat concluded, there was a fundraising auction where calligraphy and paintings done by our guest, Adi Rinpoche, uh, were auctioned off. The woman who had requested him to do uh, a couple of paintings and some calligraphy for the auction told us that she had stayed with him all the while that he was working painting and doing calligraphy, and she reported that the whole time that he was painting, he was laughing with delight. Each of us has experienced the benefits, the fruits of joy, those remarkably bright attitudes and buoyant happy feelings that flow through us. We may even experience a physical and energetic sense of transformation, balance and balance within our body, within our heart and mind. In moments of joy, we may feel unbound, even healed. This evening, I'd like to explore mudita with you. 
this feeling of delight and happiness, joy for, joy with, happiness with, happiness for, these buoyant and powerful energies, the experience of joy and gladness that we feel in relationship to the happiness and success of others, the delight, the joy, that we might feel in our heart in relationship to what others have accomplished, in relationship to the good things that have happened to and for others. The Buddha spoke of joy when he offered the teachings and the practices of the Brahmaviharas, these immeasurable capacities of heart, metta, karuna, compassion, upekka, equanimity, and mudita, sympathetic or empathetic joy, or what I sometimes call contagious joy. Most of us probably have certain ideals that we aspire to in relationship to each of these capacities. Ideals, though they certainly may be very worthy, basically come from thought, from concepts, from the conceptual mind. Our ideals certainly may be an inspiration to us, but it's important not to be attached to an ideal, not to be attached to how we think it's supposed to be. It's essential in our practice to connect to the reality of our experience, to connect and to know the reality of being, meaning simply and clearly being with things as they are in the immediacy of the moment. Each of these qualities, these capacities of heart, are really very natural responses to our experience. A natural response that comes out of the innate purity of being when we're connected, when we really truly embrace and feel the present moment just as it is. The response of the heart the response of metta, of compassion, of joy, quite naturally come from an intuitive awareness, an intuitive awareness, that very natural knowing that's rooted in the unfettered clarity of mindfulness in the present moment. Our capacity to feel joy in relationship to another's happiness, success, another's beauty or goodness, to feel joy in relationship to someone's delight or in their sense of well-being, and even our capacity to experience joy in the amazing, boundless beauty of this planet that we share with all sentient beings. This is mudita. Sympathetic, empathetic, contagious joy. There's a sense of connection and affinity, a feeling of shared joy and harmony, an essential experience of what's sometimes called oneness, that though experienced personally within our own heart, mind, and body, is actually totally impersonal in nature. In that it's not mine or yours to get or to own. It's not me, not I. Not the identity of I am a joyful person. Mudita is. Mudita happens. Mudita can be as uncomplicated as simply feeling the 
light, bright, soft energy of delight that's emitted when we're in the company of someone who's feeling happy, someone who's feeling at ease. With mudita, when we feel this, we quite naturally mirror it back to the other, maybe with words, but often just through the quality of energy that we emit. And in the process, the delight and the happiness is increased. When we recognize and appreciate the particular positive significance of something in someone else's life, or recognize the specific magnitude, the importance of someone's success, someone's happiness, there's often a very natural inward feeling and outgoing expression of gladness and friendliness. This is the response from the heart of mudita. Empathetic understanding, kind-heartedness, friendliness. This warm, very human sense of connection. This is mudita. The seeds of mudita, as are the seeds of all of the divine abidings, these seeds were planted in us long ago and many times over throughout our lifetime. Every time someone has been happy for us, was delighted for and with us when we were happy about something, just even the genuine, open-hearted response of a smile or a laugh when we smiled or laughed. The times when we succeeded in some simple way and were offered a smile, a hug. Or when we were very young, as often quite spontaneously happens when with babies and young children, someone clapped for us when we were successful in some way. A seed may be planted sometime during this time of your practice in retreat here, even in the silence. The shared joy, the happiness, the silent smiles, for instance, that are subtly subtly passed around when some particularly delicious food is served or the happiness you might feel internally in noticing someone's practice, the warmth of open-heartedness, or the stillness that they're emanating. The seeds of mudita planted again and again and again. These are the seeds that we cultivate, the seeds that we grow through our practice. It's as if we've been given a transmission, the transmission of mudita. And we quite naturally, intuitively, pass it on. We practice. We cultivate and grow it. And the heart, the mind, is purified. We cultivate and grow it and pass it on a kind of seamless circle of transmission. Maybe now just take a moment to experiment with the feeling of joy in a very simple way, with the sense, I am here. The emphasis isn't on the sense of I, nor is it on the sense of am, but on here. I am here. Joy moves us into presence. Joy breaks down the patterns of grasping at experience to validate our sense of who we are. 
And when it does, we're free to pour our energies into the activity of life itself without any need to compare or compete, both of which take an incredible amount of energy to engage in. So now taking another moment to recall, maybe with someone right here in the retreat, or someone in your life outside of retreat, recalling, reflecting on a time when you've been able to freely, open-heartedly rejoice, freely, open-heartedly rejoice in, purely rejoice in someone's success, someone's happiness. In the late 1970s, I had the great privilege of spending some time with a woman named Dora Kuntz. At that point, she was in her 80s, and she was the national president of the Theosophical Society. She was uh, born in Austria and had a very unusual upbringing in Indonesia and was taught meditation at a very young age. She said that her parents uh, didn't mind if she missed a meal now and then, if she was outside playing somewhere and forgot uh, that it was lunchtime or dinner time. But if she missed her meditation period, that wasn't okay with her parents. Fortunately, she didn't rebel against this, and she grew up into being a very rare being. Still very much a practitioner uh, when I met her. She was a person of deep wisdom and a teacher of mudita by simply being herself. And it's actually one of the things that I remember most clearly about her. Her lightness, her joy, Often when she would be teaching, something she was about to say or something that she may have just said or maybe some internal experience that hadn't been shared and wasn't going to be shared um, would strike her as very funny. And she would burst out in laughter and sometimes even slap her leg when she was laughing often continuing to laugh for quite some few moments. And we might not necessarily have any idea what she was laughing about. Or what she said might not have been particularly funny to any of us. (laughs) But we all took such delight in her delight. And we laughed with Dora many, many times, simply in sympathetic contagious joy. Dora planted many seeds. And it's said that mudita is the most difficult of all the divine abidings, the immeasurables, to cultivate. And I was surprised um, many years ago when I first learned this But as I checked in closely with my own experience, I found that the feeling of a pure, untainted joy in others' success, in another's happiness or beauty or well-being, can actually be quite difficult at times. There can often be a taste of the comparing mind with maybe critical flavors of judgment, envy, of competition, jealousy, maybe a flavor of resentment, even debasement or arrogance. 
and even sometimes the taste of boredom in relationship to others' happiness and success. If we slip into and get stuck believing in and identifying with these old conditioned habits of the comparing mind, we perpetuate and continue to bind ourselves to the very painful delusion of a separate self. We can continue to suffer in the duality of this existential loneliness, this most painful delusion that the Buddha called the conceit of self. Mudita practice can bring to the surface and bring into question much of what has been been trained, been conditioned into us. Beliefs that we hold about ourselves. Beliefs that we hold on to about how it's supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be. And the reactive habit patterns that manifest out of these often very tightly held beliefs. The practice of cultivating joy for, joy with others can begin to wake us up to seeing that the process of comparing only reinforces the learned feeling of being deficient, the learned identification of oneself being inadequate in some way or other or reinforces the learned attitude of being better than or the very best. Both of these ends of the spectrum, very painful. And so if we do this, we live with a constant underlying or maybe not so underlying feeling of uncertainty, tension, stress. It's this conceit of self that usurps the power, usurps the vitality of presence, usurps being fully present. It's this conceit of self that blocks the joy of simply being present with, being present with what is. We set ourselves apart We separate ourselves with this conceit. And it's an endlessly unsatisfying, painful process. Really a major source of suffering in this human realm. Until we're liberated, awakened, tis the self by which we suffer, as the Buddha said. And this is a brief teaching from Zen Master Dogen. To study the self, or to study the way, is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things. To be enlightened by all things is to remove the barriers between self and other. Because of this deeply rooted habit of conceit, which binds us and keeps us from awakening to the natural response of sympathetic joy, the Buddha instructs us to recognize, acknowledge, and rejoice in ourselves. We can reflect on the ways that We've been of service and cared for others. Reflect on the choices, the wise choices that we've made. Choices that have been absolutely appropriate in various situations. We can reflect and rejoice in the times 
when our heart, our mind has been clearly present, connected, when the heart has emanated loving kindness, compassion, or joy in relationship to others. And of course, the possibility of rejoicing in the fact that we've had the very good fortune to meet and connect with the teachings and the practice, practices of the Buddha, and that we're here practicing. All too often, our idea of what it means to be really honest with ourselves, about ourselves, is primarily perceived as admitting our weaknesses, admitting our faults, admitting all of the unskillful, all of the bad things we've done. And we could actually call this another facet of the conceit of self. Identifying and dwelling in the negative idea of ourself This negative image of who we are is how guilt, sorrow, and sorrow, how anguish is nurtured. I think it's really important to take the Buddhist instruction to heart. Rejoicing in ourselves isn't a call for arrogance or self-centeredness. It's really just the simple recognition and the acknowledgement of our goodness, our success, our healthy human beingness. In cultivating mudita, it's essential to begin to be able to rejoice in ourselves, not in a prideful or a conceited way, but as a means of generating self-respect, love, confidence, joy, and a sense of well-being that's essential and natural to the awakening mind, the awakening heart. As we proceed with the cultivation of joy, just as with the cultivation of metta or uh, karuna, our particular conditioned reactive habit patterns come into awareness. We don't indulge or try to suppress or criticize our experience, but we let it be as it is in the light of the intuitive awareness that's rooted in mindfulness. And it's also important that we not proceed with an attachment to an ideal of metta. Not, as I said earlier, not with an attachment of how we think it is. But we proceed with honesty, with humility, and a willingness grounded in unconditional friendship, metta, for ourselves. Even as we accept the arising of reactive states, reactive patterns, The purification of the heart occurs not by forcing, but through the attitude of acceptance and mindful awareness. Just as metta and aversion can't coexist, jealousy or envy and joy can't coexist. Quite a few years ago now, about five weeks into a few months of ongoing intensive meditation practice at uh, IMS, um, the old IMS, (laughs) I began to experience uh, quite an excruciating loneliness. My first reaction to this experience was uh, a very strong desire for attention, recognition, some kind of acknowledgement. I wanted something from the outside, from outside myself, to assuage my loneliness. At least a note on the board for me. The board appeared to be filled 
with notes for everybody else except for me. So one afternoon in the midst of this intense loneliness, I went outside, on my way outside, to do some walking meditation. And I passed the room of a very dear friend up on the second floor of the Catskills, who was also sitting this retreat. And as I passed her room, I noticed a beautiful bunch of fresh flowers in a vase in front of her closed door. Flowers left there by someone signifying a caring attention. Well, rageful jealousy, (laughs) envy, even a taste of a kind of hatred erupted in me. And I felt terrible, worse than I'd felt even before, just being lonely. Which, in those moments, led me outside to do some metta and some mudita while I was doing walking meditation. So I silently repeated the phrases, May you be happy and peaceful. May your joy and delight be full and increase. And I was directing the phrases uh, towards my friend, up towards her window, the window of her room. And I knew she was still in her room. But I felt myself doing stomping meditation (laughs) instead of walking practice. The energy of the phrases felt very heavy. Uh, quite uh, sharp in rhythm with my stomping steps. And there was a feeling of burning inside rather than the light of love and joy that really, I thought, should have been filling my body and my heart and my mind and then flowing out freely towards my friend. And suddenly, in the midst of this painful time, an intuitive knowing arose. In the the immediacy of the moment, I was the one who was suffering. So the direction of the phrases turned around towards myself. May I be safe and protected from inner and outer danger and harm. May I be peaceful and happy. May I take care of myself wisely, joyfully, May I be liberated. After about 40 minutes of practicing this way, feelings of more ease and openness began to arise. And so I decided to go back and sit in my room. And just as I came into the Catskills hallway through the outside fire escape door, my friend opened the door to her room and saw the flowers. An exquisite smile lit up her face. And unnoticed, I stood nearby watching. Smiling tears filled my eyes, accompanied by feelings of love, feelings of really a great open-hearted delight in her delight, her delight in the flowers that some kind-hearted being had left for her. As with all of the divine abidings, we work with the seeds that were planted long ago. And as we sow new seeds, cultivating them through our practice, A piece of the process along the way is that we have the opportunity, we get the opportunity to see what's not mudita. But this doesn't stop us from continuing on, even though sometimes it's not so comfortable, not so easy. Some of the energies, the difficult weeds that show up in our garden that aren't mudita, are quite deeply rooted. These weeds, these 
reactive patterns are what separates us from being with another person in his or her happiness and strengthens the sense of separation and sense of inadequacy or deficiency, recreating a sense of self, a self that's absolute, solid, and never good enough. And this is a great suffering. We can bring attention, mindful attention, to the reactive patterns. Observing, not analyzing, but really looking into them directly and recognizing that it takes time to do this. As mindful awareness actually begins to penetrate the critical attitude within oneself, you may more and more clearly feel, for instance, how you're deficient, how you don't meet up or measure up with the harsh, unforgiving, and unloving set of standards that you carry around within you. And it's often the case that as long as we judge and criticize others, we don't really pay attention to the feelings within ourselves of not measuring up. The truth is that none of us are deficient. None of us. But one's feeling of such can be so deeply conditioned and very powerful. The self-judgment and critical attitude has nothing to do with who and what you are. It's been learned, trained into you, conditioned into you. And you've accepted it, passively accepted it. So there's a constant underlying, and as I said, sometimes not so underlying, feeling of uncertainty. Because of following a conditioned agenda that tells you over and over again that you're never enough. In the practice of joy, when it's opposites come up. We bring mindful attention directly into the feeling of lack or deficiency, which may at first show up as jealousy or envy, as it did in my story about the flowers. We can begin to experience not feeling good enough in a deep and complete way, And using the breath as our anchor, as a a kind of rope, so to say, and holding onto the rope of the breath and gently lowering yourself into the feeling of lack, into the feeling of deficiency. At first, it probably feels quite absolute. This is me. I'm not good enough. And it might be quite uncomfortable. But gradually, as we keep going, over time, it becomes a feeling. And eventually, it becomes an object of attention, a clear, mindful attention, not who I am. It has certain characteristics, It comes, it goes, it's known. There's a real shift in the relationship to the experience of lack, of not good enough, and a real shift in understanding at this point. You intuitively understand that all the values, all the values that you've held and all of the associated judgment and criticism that are associated with deficiency are learned, are conditioned states that have come, become, in fact, a habit. They're not 
the absolute truth. And sometimes when this understanding is touched into, there may be strong waves of fear arising. Again, it's important to stay with it. The fear will dissipate. And as it does, the judgmental, the critical attitudes begin to fall apart. And you're in the present, right in the present moment. Not caught up and stuck in the old habits of believing that I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm lacking. There's a knowing that you're not incomplete, not inadequate, not lacking in any way. There's a release, a release from the conditioning, from the learned values. There's an opening. Life opens up. Everything opens up. There's a sense of freedom. The freedom of not always needing to look for Look to the external for some kind of validation. Validation as it sometimes may have seemed just simply for being, being alive. You're present in your life and there's no apology needed to anyone or anything. The tendency to judge, criticize, or undermine the happiness, success, or the convictions of others vanishes. As we're free in our own being, the freedom to take joy and to celebrate in our own life and in the happiness and success of others is then readily available the natural responding purity of sympathetic, empathetic, contagious joy blossoms and flourishes as the real thing. And this is a great joy. As we open to our experiences just as they are, the little things in life, and the small happenings in our practice. As we take an interest, we begin to experience a kind of happiness in this open-hearted receptivity. We begin to experience delight in many of the small things that make up a day, make up an hour, or the occurrences of just a few moments. And we're no longer bored or complacent. We're connected to the moment just as it is. Our practice is alive. We just simply then carry on cultivating, fertilizing, and watering our garden, so to say. The wholesome seeds take deeper root. They grow and blossom and fruit. Slowly, slowly, just as any garden grows. Understanding wisdom comes through our own particular karmic predicaments in very direct experiential ways, as most of you are well aware of. This is a very natural part of the process of practice and awakening for everyone. As the personal particulars of our own karmic predicaments begin to unwind and fall away, the mind, the heart, begins to open and the universal truths of suffering and happiness are touched with more and more depth and more spaciousness as the process of purification unfolds. I think it's important to remember this in that it helps us to not rigidly lock into our opinions, to not grasp onto our learned and conditioned views with so much tenacity. 
as our conditioning unwinds and is purified, our view widens and deepens as the, um, and the amazing boundless scope and depth of the Buddha's understanding and teachings just keep unfolding, becoming clearer, brighter, and more and more easily accessible. Mudita energizes us and makes the heart, the mind, light, pliable, open, generous, and relaxed. And as these qualities grow and mature, along the way of our practice, we find that there are qualities that are very helpful and actually necessary for practice as a whole. Mudita depends on our capacity to connect directly and to open-heartedly feel and take delight in things. We must allow or begin to allow ourselves to feel joy, letting go of the contraction of guilt about feeling happy, recognizing and letting go of the feelings of fear and grasping in thoughts such as If I feel happy, if I feel at ease, if I feel well, I know it will be somehow taken away from me. Identification with conditioned habitual thought patterns of fear and grasping, this itself is what defeats happiness. Gladdening our minds, gladdening our hearts, helps free us. And then, in turn, the moments of freedom gladden our heart, gladden our mind. A a seamless circle of inner transmission and transformation. In deciding to offer a talk on mudita, I looked for a pure example of it in my own life. And the following two examples are what came up. As conditions would have it, my one-year-old grandson and I were alone together uh, the morning that he first walked all the way across the room, totally on his own. And of course, he'd been working up to this for weeks. But when it actually happened, he was remarkably delighted in the midst of the experience. Kind of like Adi Rinpoche while he was painting. He laughed all the way across the room. And I, in turn, experienced feelings of great delight and happiness in his accomplishment and in his great joy with his accomplishment. As it all was just very naturally unfolding before my eyes. The second example that I remembered uh, was from when I lived on a farm. Because we experienced such mudita, We used to love to watch the calves and kids, kids and our baby goats in this case. We used to love to watch the calves and the kids um, just after they were born. Because very soon after birth, they would try and try and try again, undaunted in their struggle, to get up onto their four legs. And when they finally succeeded in finding their legs, they would begin to just joyfully jump and leap and kick all over the barn. A baby's first walking, the calf and the kid finding their legs, our successes and joys in our practice, 
we could call this joy as grace. Just the natural unfolding of things, the natural way of things. My grandson certainly wasn't walking for me. And in fact, he wasn't even walking for himself. It's just the way of things. Walking happens at some point. Joy as grace. Joy as just this. Joy just as it is. Exploring and recognizing the joy that has no self at the center of it. The momentary joy of the pure heart. Recognizing and acknowledging these moments in your own experience, in your own life. I'd also like to say that with teaching Dhamma and having the opportunity to be with you, to share what the Buddhist, uh, share the Buddhist teachings with you, and to share in your joys and successes, feeling happiness for you, feeling happiness with you in the movement, in the unfolding of your practice. This is a great joy for me, mudita. As practice unfolds, we find that mudita and compassion are actually closely allied. They're complementary aspects of our being. When we're lost in what might seem like an endless depth of sorrow or despair, mudita is a remedy. It can remind us, oh yes, there's joy. And there may be times when we get lost in what can sometimes be a kind of spinning out, a giddiness, maybe, maybe blindly attached to some wonderful success in our life or to something that we've gotten. And so not really fully present with how things are. A friend told me a story uh, about this. She said she uh, was very, very happy with something that had happened in her life, and it had happened just before she was to meet a friend for lunch. She said that as she was sharing lunch, she went on and on and on about this wonderful, great happening in her life. And then at some point quite a few moments uh, down the road of her giddy sharing, she realized that her friend was not at all in a happy frame of mind, even though she was trying very hard to listen to the story that she was being told. My friend said that she had been so caught up in her own self, her own giddy self at that point, that that for a while she was blind to her companion. When we're caught in the delusion or the denial of blind excitement, compassion can bring us back to reality. Compassion helps to bring us back into balance. The union of mudita and karuna allows us to see and deeply experience the whole of life. In the mid-1980s, when I was living in Nepal for a while, my youngest son, who at that time was 18, came over to visit me for about a month. 
the two of us went trekking, were planning to go trekking uh, up to the Annapurna base camp together. But first we had lunch in Pokhara, which is a beach town, the gateway to the Annapurna range. We were sitting at an outdoor restaurant that was geared towards tourists. And there was a loudspeaker blaring music. It was Madonna singing, It's a Material World. And there we were sitting in Nepal in this small town with Nepal walking by on the dirt street in front of us. At one point we were waiting for our lunch and a man came on a cart. He had no legs. He was a leper and he was pushing himself along on his knuckles because he also had uh, very few fingers left. In the opposite direction came a calf and they both stopped right in front of my son and I. And the calf started licking the man. The man took off his t-shirt that was torn and dirty and then he took off his cap and the calf was licking him all over his chest, his back, his head, his whole body, his arms. And he gave himself to the calf very fully. And the calf finished his licking and the man wrapped his arms around the calf and held him For a few moments, the calf stood very still until the man finished. And then they both continued on their way. My son and I looked at each other at that point and saw that each of us had tears streaming down our eyes, streaming down our face, out of our eyes. Tears of joy and tears of compassion. And just to bring a a certain kind of reality into this story, the calf, as many of you may know, cows are holy in India. So this was a holy cow, not just any cow. And the man, looked like he hadn't bathed in a very long time, was um, probably very salty. It's hot there. So this holy cow was getting a salt lick, And the man was getting a holy bath. (laughs) A perfect combination for joy and compassion. The selflessness that's inherent in our natural human capacities of metta, karuna, and mudita all dance together as they grow and mature through our practice. They add to and support and balance one another, helping to keep the clarity and the spaciousness of seeing and knowing things as they truly are. Along the way of this Dhamma journey, we have infinite opportunities to know the joy in practice, know our joy in practice to take delight in relationship to our own practice and feel mudita for others in relationship to their practice. The joy of a collected, focused mind. The joy of calm, tranquility, concentration. The joy of non-dispersion, non-distraction the joy of a loving, compassionate heart, the joy of connection, the joy of non-separation, the joy of metta and karuna, the joy of living with a deepening ethical relationship to life, the joy of living harmlessly, the joy of non-guilt, non-worry, non-deceit, the joy of seeing and knowing interconnectedness. The joy of seeing things clearly, truly, 
just as they are, which brings the great joy of understanding, the joy of wisdom, the joy of non-delusion, non-confusion, the joy of peace. Experiencing the heart of pure joy, joy for, joy with, another's happiness, another's success, and most profoundly, the experience in any moment of the great joy of transformation. This is our possibility. Joy is the ground of our healing, one of the fruits of our practice. The small smile on the face of most of the Buddha rupas, the Buddha statues. I don't know if this one has it or not. Yes. <laughs> can be a pointer. It can be a reminder and an inspiration for us of the underlying ground of joy, the inherent joy, in the midst of and along with the deepest compassion and wisdom of the awakened mind, the awakened heart. And I'd like to close this evening's talk with some words from the Buddha. This is from the Dhammapada, the section on joy, happiness. Live happily, free from hostility, even among those who hate. Live joyfully, free from misery and affection, even among those who are afflicted. Live happily, free from the trouble of busyness, even among those who are busy. Live joyfully, like those who have nothing, feeding on rapture, like the shining ones. Winning gives birth to hostility. Losing, one lies down in pain. The calmed lie down in peace, having set winning and losing aside. There's no fire like lust, no evil like hatred, no pain like disharmony, no happiness like the happiness of peace. Greed, the primary sickness, Delusion, the primary pain. Knowing this truth just as it is. Freedom, the primary joy. Health, great good fortune. Contentment, great wealth. Trust, great kinship. Freedom, the greatest happiness. Look within. Taste the nourishment of seclusion, of stillness and calm. Freed from fear and attachment. Refreshed by the sweet joy of the way. How joyful to see the awakened, always happiness in the company of the wise. Endless grief for those who commune with a fool as traveling in the company with an enemy. Joyful is communion with the awakened as with a gathering of kin. Follow the awakened, the shining ones, the discerning, the learned, dutiful, loving, integral, and wise. They know how to work and forbear. Follow them as the moon follows the path of the stars. And we'll sit silently for just a moment.
And we'll close chanting the reflections on the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.